This is Women Road Warriors with Shelley Johnson and Kathy Takaro. If you drive long haul, short haul, or heavy haul, they're here to empower and inspire women in the trades on TNCRadio.live. So gear down, sit back, and enjoy. Welcome to Women Road Warriors with Shelley Johnson and Kathy Takaro. We're a show designed to empower and inspire women drivers, women in the trades, and everywhere. We feature champions and trailblazers in and out of the industry, compelling topics and information, and even celebrity interviews that are of interest to women. No topic is not allowed on our rig. We're here for women. I'm Shelley, and I'm Kathy. You know, we take on some tough topics with discussions that just need to be had. Trauma and domestic violence are things that are not discussed as often as they should be. With us today is a champion for women and victims of trauma. Rebecca Mahan is a U.S. Marine Corps veteran where she was a truck driver and mechanic. She's a retired police officer and the author of Vote, Victims Overcoming Traumatic Events. Rebecca holds a degree in church ministry and occupational studies. She has a master's in biblical studies and is a certified mediator. She's also a TV and radio host, and she produces the show Rebecca Sounds Reveille. Welcome, Rebecca. Thank you for being on the show with us today. You've got quite the background. Thank you for having me. And yes, actually, it's very well-rounded, and I did not know how much all of the experience would eventually tie in as well as it has. So how did you go from uh, being in the U.S. Marine Corps, where you were a driver and a mechanic, and to be a woman in the Marine Corps? That had to be kind of tough to make make the cut, being a woman, um, and then a police officer, and then advocating for victims who've experienced trauma. It's just, wow. <laughs> wow. <laughs> <Yeah>. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> really young that I wanted to go into law enforcement. And so I started out as a police explorer at 13 and a half. They had a explorer academy that you could go to. And once you graduated that, you could ride with patrol officers and you performed a lot of officer duties, but there's certain boundaries. And I just really loved that. And so after high school, I enlisted in the Marine Corps Reserve specifically because I wanted to be a police officer, have really good background experience, be able to handle myself well. And I wanted to get in at 21. That didn't quite happen. I got activated for Desert Shield and Desert Storm. I did not go overseas, um, but that's a whole another story in itself. And because of the way I enlisted, I didn't go in as an MP, the unit that I was at, they were looking for drivers and mechanics, specifically mechanics. And I found that I loved driving and that's what I did. Five tons, Humvees, buses. Excellent. Mm -hmm. Did you ever envision that for yourself? No, I sure didn't. Um, But it actually has been beneficial on so many fronts um, because I've really been able to identify with a lot of different professions, with a lot of different people in different situations, as well as really been able to show myself what I'm capable of. And I would not have known it to the degree as otherwise. And then later on, I became a police officer. Wow. That's impressive. It really (laughs) really is. is. (laughs) Wow. So I know Kathy says driving's men's best kept secret. Do you agree, Rebecca? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm happy. It can be a girl's best kept secret, too, because being a 
a lot of fun. You know what? Yeah. I mean, I've been uh, like, I was a nurse before for 13 years prior to operating heavy equipment. And I swear like, oh, operating heavy equipment, any kind of machinery is men's best kept secret. It is so much fun. <laughs> and I mean, like on my crew, there's only a hundred and there's 140 of us and there's only 12 women. And man, I tell everybody, you got to try this. <laughs> like, oh my God. <laughs> I have to agree. The the only advice I would really stress for women in the field that are driving or even they are a team drive, you know, in anything where they're on the road and they're assisting in this, there's so many things that can actually cause physical injuries. And this is the part where I want to stress to really take the time to do the safety techniques that were taught before we go on the road. Mm. Oh, absolutely. Safety first. And as Kathy said, and these are some of the stats I found too, women are better drivers. They're safer. They don't drive it like they stole it. You know? (laughs) (laughs) Got that right. (laughs) And And we keep it clean. We keep the equipment cleaner. (laughs) There you go. Yeah. (laughs) um, Maybe it's the maternal instinct. We just, uh, we know it's, if you run into something, it's going to hurt. Don't do it again. You know? <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, Rebecca, what kind of obstacles did you face? Were there any? Um, obviously, being in the Marine Corps, I don't imagine there are a lot of women that uh, have been enlisting. I don't know what the percentages are now, but the Marine Corps super demanding. Semper Fi, by the way. Thank a, you. a wonderful branch of the U.S. service. Did you have any obstacles? I think a woman in a man's field, no matter what industry it is, whether it's military, law enforcement, trucking, pick an occupation where it has been predominantly known as a man's field. I think women, even to this day, still have challenges. And there's even statistics that show women still don't get paid the same equivalency in salary. So I do think that there are some obstacles. When I was in, it was a lot more difficult because I enlisted in 1988 and I went to boot camp in 1989. And at that time they were going through a transition from what was called the old core to the new, to the new core. And so they were tolerating less of the physical um, altercations between drill instructors and recruits along with other sort of um, onboarding activities or activities that would happen if somebody didn't like another member or they weren't pulling their own weight or things like promotions. But I was talking to somebody recently and most of that is really still the same, even though that was supposed to have had a major change. And quickly, I'll just touch note, um, after a case out of Fort Hood um, revolving around a, a female soldier, there's some changes now that are being instituted with, um, violence against women and other types of crimes. So yeah, lots of obstacles and you're always trying to persevere and show that you can handle whatever position that you are in and that that someone else doesn't have to carry your weight. Once you prove that, you're good to go. So you have to have quite a bit of determination, confidence, and tenacity because uh, it, it seems like women uh, have to work harder to prove themselves even though they're just as capable, if not better in many ways. It's true. <laughs> it is, And I thank you for that because I don't really look at myself as being such, but I do. I, I really stay focused and... I try, this is, I think, where people who don't feel maybe 
the courage sometimes or the strength to move on. It's taking something and looking at it in a a way that is healthy for you so that you can push through the challenges you know that could drag you down or prevent you from pursuing something further. And it's, it's really looking beyond that. What is this going to do for me or whatever my goal is, whether it's helping someone else, my child, I mean, whatever, whatever the goal is, but it's looking beyond the immediate pain, which could be five minutes or five days, depending on the circumstance. It's looking beyond that and saying, how's this actually going to be something that's really healthy? Sure. Mm -hmm. How did you get into helping victims overcome traumatic events? Obviously, you've written a book about it. Uh, Was there something that just struck a nerve with you and you said, this needs to be dealt with? Way back when I had my own unhealthy relationship and I said, okay, what am I going to do to not have an unhealthy relationship in the future? Mm -hmm. What is my role in contributing to any type of thing within my relationship that isn't healthy? And so I really focused on figuring that out. I read, I read, I read, I did all kinds of things. And so one day while I was in the police academy, we had a domestic violence instructor come in to give the class. And while I was sitting there, this light bulb went off and I knew what I needed to do to address the situation. And I kept it to myself. So following the academy, I ended up working at a women's prison for a little while while I was before I got hired on as a deputy sheriff. And while I was there, I ended up becoming from a correctional officer to a pre-release coordinator. And I was working with women behind bars, minimum security, uh, prison. And I was working um, with them in a 30-day, very intense class to give them the skills, resources, strength, and motivation to make things healthy in their life so they don't come back. And this this is unfortunately a problem. It seems like there's a lot of recidivism. But right. um, anyway, uh, so a lot of the things that I had thought about during the academy and I imparted them on the class, they were extremely successful. And when I got to the sheriff's department, I, I hadn't been there very long. And I was sitting at briefing one day and the sergeant came out and said, every one of you has to Uh, come up with a community-oriented policing project, and we need it by this day. So I went home, and I typed up a presentation packet, and I was a rookie. I mean, so this was not at a time where there was very very many women in law enforcement were in the area that I was in. So, um, So being new, being not from the area, and coming in with this presentation, I People said, okay, well, uh, we can give it a try, but uh, yeah, we'll see what happens. We'll give you a year. I said, okay. And so I gave them the packet, vote victims overcoming traumatic events, and I implemented it. And for the first year, we as an agency did not go back to 97% of households that were domestic violence related. Wow. Wow. That's wow. That's impressive. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So they allowed me to keep continue the program. And even when I, after going to another agency, it stayed on there. So statistics showed for another seven years after that, that it was 95% and above that law enforcement wasn't responding to homes of domestic violence for a return call. And there was a lot of prevention going on. The prevention really helps with officer safety because this is pretty much the number one dangerous call aside from, say, something out out in society, a robbery or something like that. Sure. Very volatile. Absolutely. 
Uh, it is. And you never know what's going to happen when you go to these calls because you don't know where the the parties are at mm-hmm. in their domestic relationship. So, um, so sometimes they're just, that's it. You know, the law enforcement has been out there so many times they've had enough. They're not getting the results that they want or the control that they need, depending on who, which party it is and things can go, go really bad. So it's, uh, an officer safety issue. It's an a very big safety issue for victims and the children within the home, as well as the, the aggressor. And so if that's going to carry out into the community, we would look at our immediate neighbors. They have to hear it, see it, and possibly be around it. And then in the workforce, because we're finding it's very common that the aggressor now will go to the victim's workplace. Which is super scary. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Stay tuned for more of Women Road Warriors, coming up. TNCRadio.live is proud to carry the Steve Summers Overnight Drive Show. TNCRadio.live is dedicated to commercial drivers. We offer the news, traffic, and weather you need, and the entertainment, sports, talk, music, and celebrity interviews you want to hear 24-7. We have original shows and trucker podcasts that feature some of your favorites, like Ice Road Alex Demogorski and America's Truckin' Sweetheart Marcia Campbell. TNCRadio.live is convenient and designed for professional drivers. The best part is we're free, and you can listen anywhere you are on the road. With just one tap, you can tune into Steve Summers and us right on your phone. Simply download our app by going to app.tncradio.live. That's app.tncradio.live. Welcome back to Women Road Warriors with Shelley Johnson and Kathy Takaro. In our previous segment, we were talking about how the aggressor can come to the workplace even. It, it's a super scary situation for victims. It makes it so hard for them to leave. Well, even like even in myself, because I was in domestic violence for seven and a half years with two separate men, I went from bad to worse. And um, it, it was like that. He, I mean, I was even I was stalked. They'd come to my both of them on different occasions would come to my to my workplace and, you know, uh, find me on my breaks and in the halls at the hospital. And oh, my God, and sending bodyguards to watch over me and like just the, the stalking. Like it was just horrible. It was absolutely horrific to try and escape that. And not to mention, um, you know, having my daughter and then, you know, I was in and out of women's shelters as a nurse and I'm, you know, I'm taking care of everybody else, but I couldn't figure out how to take care of me. So I really understand that whole aspect. It's, it's, it's quite the thing. And it's daunting too for women when they're trying to navigate the legal system, if they want to get a restraining order, quite often they'll hear, we can't do anything until he or she does something to you. So that's discouraging. You know, uh, you can see where they just kind of give up. They don't know what to do. It's, it's terrorizing, really. Shelly, I really want to thank you for bringing that up because I've been working now with women for almost 30 years. Mm-hmm. This situation, specifically along with other trauma, the first thing I want to say is even if someone's listening right now that hasn't experienced domestic violence, 
because of how we are wired, each one of us has a certain wiring and how we respond to something that is unhealthy or traumatic, whether it's domestic violence, sexual assault, um, you can add a number of things. The response in internally is basically the same. So what I share now is going to be applicable to those listening that have faced anything that evolves around those things. But as you've said, I mean, the situation is so difficult that people definitely shy away from a lot of things, including legal help. The first thing is they they really try to stay away from sharing things from their family and friends, even when they're confronted from family and friends and saying they think that they notice something. They usually say, no, you know, this is good. Everything's fine. And the thing that happens is oftentimes we feel that we are humiliated because maybe we're going to have a failed relationship. Maybe we didn't keep our commitment. If we leave the marriage or the relationship with God, if we're religious or to our family who has expectations and we sit and we think about all of the things that we're not going to change because of other people's perception. And that is the first thing that we have to look at internally and say, I have to take care of me. And if there's children involved, I need to protect myself and my children. What do I need to do? Oftentimes, law enforcement does come out. They will bring a pamphlets required by law in many states now for resources. Oftentimes, they will not seek shelter. And oftentimes, they will not get a restraining order. And I want to say two things specifically about that. And the first is on the restraining order. I personally, after everything that I have seen, and this is even being in law enforcement, feel that restraining orders can be very problematic for a victim, especially to, to an aggressor that has a high determination of control. Okay. And the reason why is because if they are not if they are not following the boundaries within a relationship or within, I mean, minor crimes around town, you'll see behavior patterns cropping up. They're not going to follow a restraining order. That means nothing to them. Sure. And it yeah. security to the victim going, well, I have a restraining order, so I'm going to be okay. And that's just not always the case. The um, the other thing is oftentimes women will not go to a shelter because they don't feel that they meet what their perception is of a victim who would seek a shelter. Okay. So they think it's not all that bad. No, they think it's really, really bad. And it's for people not like them. I see. Okay. Right. They, they don't it's, think their situation's as bad as the people who need to go to the shelters. Yes. Yes. Some of the things that I learned after working at uh, the sheriff's department uh, is that there is no socio or economic um, for anyone to be only in that group and be a victim. This is across the board. This is with very affluent um, you know, subculture cultures. There's subcultures underneath that, and it, it is applicable to them as well. And it, and it happens across the board in all of the different nationalities. So no one is immune from being a victim of any type of trauma or specifically domestic violence. And that's where educating is so important because there's no excuse for domestic violence, any kind of violence. And women often are the targets. And mm -hmm. it's just terrible. One thing, too, um, Shelly and Kathy, that many victims don't know that it's available to them. And this is why one of the reasons why 
women won't leave a situation or a victim because now uh, there's they're changing the name from domestic violence to intimate partner abuse because in the LGB community, it is very prevalent and it's not being addressed at all. So I'm just going to use victim. I'll try, try to stay within that um, in respect for that as well. But for victims who have been, um, and they have proof that they have been hurt abused by an aggressor, they can go to victim services and there's something called the victim's compensation fund in every state. And they can get up to, depending on their state, $25,000 to get out of the situation and go somewhere else. Wow. Wow. Yes. I had not heard of that. No, yeah. Hmm. Most people don't even know it exists. If you just go to Google and type it in now, even while we're you're listening out there, you can find out <laughs> You need to do in your state if you are subjected to this and you want to get out. What's the fund called again in case our listeners missed that? Victims Compensation Fund. Okay. And they will have to go down to the victim's you know, office, victim services office in their area. More than likely, they'll have to show a police report, but they'll, they'll want to have something that substantiates this because they're giving out a lot of money for someone to leave and they don't want this this particular fund to be abused. I mean, we shouldn't at all, but this is specifically because people do need to get out of a volatile situation because so many lives are lost. And the other part to this is if a woman or a victim that's in a relationship wants to leave, that is the most dangerous time for them. They need to know this and they need to make plans on if they're going to leave, how they're going to do it and how they are going to be able to make a break and survive financially, spiritually, mentally, physically, and with any children if they have children. It is so hard. So, so hard. Well, especially when things, uh, emotions are so high, if, if, if an incident has occurred, the fear factor is huge. You don't know what the perpetrator is going to be doing. And to the think- fear and the broken self-esteem. Yes. Right. Because over yes. years, um, the it just breaks you, your whole um, um, idea of who you are as, as a person because, you know, the, the abuse is, 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 is always ongoing and you just don't believe in yourself. You, you feel like you're making mistakes all the time and you're, you're making poor choices and you don't know how to do this and you don't know how to do that. And, you know, all depending on the situation, but most times that that's, that's the case. And so when you're, when you're starting over, especially with children and you got nothing and never mind, a you know, a broke, if you have a broken body, if your broken mind is, is very, very hard to put back together. You know, I, I know because I did it for for years running on on trying to get my pe- my, my life back together because you need a job, but you have a damaged mind. Right. And trying to figure it out. Oh, my God, it's so mm-hmm. hard. Yeah. It took me years to get over it. And and still to this day, I've been I, I escaped in 2007. I call it the great escape. And um, to this day, if somebody uh, makes a loud noise or like a big bang, I still jump out of my skin. Like I, I cannot shake that. Like something. Like that. Oh, it happened. Was it last last set at work? A guy jumped out. He thought I was somebody else, and he jumped out from behind um, a laundry kit sort of thing that was in the hall. I, I almost I almost peed my pants, and I almost started to cry. I was so because I just the, the fear is still there, right? Mm-hmm. But he has yeah. no idea my history, right? He thought I was somebody else, and he was playing a joke on somebody. Well, I didn't think it was very funny, right? Mm-hmm. Even though it's been how many years, it's still there. It's still there. Sure, that's a trigger. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 I want 
to interject real quick because you're, you're saying something that I think is really important for people who are in a domestic violence situation and they're going to leave and they're trying to figure out how it's going to be for them when, when they go to wherever it is and they get into a place where they're going to start moving forward. Because what you're saying and Shelly, the word trigger is huge. One of the most often looked, uh, overlooked forms of PTSD is having been a victim of domestic violence. So if someone is, let's say you have a listener right now who just got out of the situation, or maybe they've been for a little while, but they're still facing these things. Research the things that are great for, for helping with anxiety and fear. Everything is evolved into one of two emotions. If you peel it down, it's either love or fear. And so if we react with something that's negative, or you hear someone that's um, saying some things that are just not nice, that's, that's all an unhealthy reaction. And when you boil it down, it's fear. And the question is, what are they afraid of? So um, in Kathy, like you met, just mentioned, it could be getting attacked. So some of these things are really important for people that are getting ready to get out of a situation to know that things that they need to do are practice mindfulness, know how to address anxiety when you're alone, because there's a fear of every noise after you leave a situation in your house. It's that person is out there. They are out by my window. They're watching Mm -hmm. or trying to get in. Or if there's something when you drive home that just is off, you're immediately thinking it's that person. Even if you were one across country and you know that you're the person would never find you. It is there. And so the one of the things not only to work on as far as anxiety and say mindfulness type of things is trust because it is very hard to trust anyone after that, especially when trying to move into a new relationship. But most importantly, learning how to trust ourselves and the things that we're seeing, hearing, and the decisions we're making. Trust is a big one. That can take years to restore, don't you think? Oh, yeah, absolutely. It took me living in that women's center and talking to my counselor for a year, every, you know, every day and every week doing some projects. She would have me, the first thing she had me work on was boundaries and learning to say no. And I remember at the time I had just started dating my, my, my ex-husband and we were together for eight years and she was teaching me to make a date with him and then say no I, and cancel. And it was the hardest thing for me to do <laughs> out of fear, right? <laughs> out of consequences, retaliations. Like it was a real slow process for me to actually learn to trust and that it's okay and say no, Kathy, and, you know, to, to be firm in my own decision making. It yeah. took a long time. I really was a bird with a broken wing. Well, so often these kind of traumas are generational and it just keeps getting repeated and repeated. And it's not that the the victim is stupid or um, is a masochist. This is what they know. And, and, and there's a lot of shame. And the people mm-hmm. that they're surrounded by may say, oh, come on, it's not that bad. You have an obligation to stay. And it just keeps going. And it, it's uh, it's a vicious cycle. It is. And with what you're saying, there's a couple of things. One, we don't, as educators in the s- school system, teach our youth how to deal with conflict re- resolution. So here's where this kind of comes back to sort of my military. I look at relationships 
relationships from our youth that we're born into as our boot camp. That is what we are being trained to do in response to a relationship that we have. And we will take on one of the roles, the role of an aggressor or the role of a victim. Sometimes a little bit of a combination of both, depending on the circumstances that they grow up in. But this is their boot camp. This is where our children are being trained on how to have either a healthy or unhealthy relationship when they become of the age and they start getting involved in relationships themselves. Sure. It's it's what they see. Mm -hmm. You know, when I think back when I was in elementary school, there were a couple of kids that were bullies. And now that I think back, they came from, I think, violent families. And this is what they knew. And I think they were acting out in school. Mm -hmm. You know, um, Mm -hmm. and and like you said, uh, they could become the aggressor or the victim. Um, children are sponges. They really are. I mean, they are what they see. And that is the only thing they know. So they wouldn't think it's abnormal. No, not at all. Not at all. Stay tuned for more of Women Road Warriors coming up. Great leaders challenge their people not to stop at the first right answer. Tighten the Lug Nuts is the book that will help you move past that first right answer to be more effective, more productive, and more successful. This book serves as a blueprint that can be easily applied by leaders, entrepreneurs, truckers, owner-operators, all of us in our everyday lives. This is one of the best leadership books you can read to help you accelerate towards your personal and professional goals. Plus, a portion of the proceeds will be donated to truckerschristmasgroup.org. Visit tightenthelugnuts.com to order your copy today. Kathy DeCaro is nothing short of amazing. She not only drives the world's biggest truck as a heavy equipment operator in northern Alberta, Canada. She's an international motivational speaker and the author of Dream Big, an autobiography about overcoming a lifetime of trauma and abuse that led to dreams of success. Kathy inspires people the world over to change their lives and improve their self-worth. Her book will change your life. She's passionate about personal growth and believes anyone can change their circumstances and overcome their obstacles if they believe in themselves. Her life will amaze you and seriously inspire you. Be sure to order a copy of her book, Dream Big, on Amazon.com. Welcome back to Women Road Warriors with Shelley Johnson and Kathy Takaro. So what does your book cover, Victims Overcoming Traumatic Events? Are, are there specific steps to help people get away from these situations? I mean, I think that at, at a certain point, there's so much desperation, you just don't know what to do. That is very true. The book does cover, there's an entire chapter specifically that can be applied to someone that is not law enforcement, someone that does not work in the emergency response field or in the domestic violence or victim resource um, profession. So that one particular chapter is worth it in itself because what I mentioned earlier about love and fear is so important in understanding how you particularly change the way that you respond to things so that they are in a healthy way. The other chapters are designed for people that are in law enforcement 
the health service industry, domestic violence shelters, victim or trauma advocates, as well as friends or family that are helping someone get through a situation like this. And it goes through the steps on how to work with the victim so that they become successful at having getting out of the unhealthy relationship and having a healthy relationship. And there's a template in there. Um, what's really neat about this is I've designed it so that those who are in law enforcement or in any of the services that I mentioned before, there's a template in the back where they can keep track of what they're doing, the progression with the people that they're working with. This can also be used as evidentiary when you are a person would uh, apply at their local or national court system as a domestic violence expert. That's super valuable. Uh, it's an education right. for many different people. I think there's a lot of blame and victims get stigmatized, if you will. They can have family and, and friends who'll say, uh, man, you're an accident waiting to happen. Why do you keep going back? And there, there's an intolerance. And I think that, that that shame factor keeps the victims in the situation, too. So true. Kathy, what do you think? Well, you know, I'm going to, from my professional um, perspective, when I was nursing, the shame factor was huge because I didn't want anybody to know my coworkers, right? Because I'm supposed to have this, you know, this professional title and I'm, I'm a good nurse and I do, I'm going to take care of everybody. And how, how come I am so dysfunctional when it comes to my household sort of thing. And I didn't, nobody, nobody, no, not a single soul knew. I was really, really good at hiding it, at uh, masking it. And I didn't know other than the, the, the people in the shelters that I would, continuously go back and forth. Um, it was a really heavy burden for me to carry. I, I didn't even want to, and, and even regards to my family, that, that ideal that, that Kathy, she's a nurse, you know, she's got this perfect life. She's got this together, you know, the white picket fence. When in reality, oh my God, I didn't even have a fence. <laughs> like I, I basically was living in a shack. Like it was so so not what people ha had their idea of who Kathy was and that I didn't know how to how to address it. I really didn't. It was tough. I would really like to see that the vote program were implemented at hospitals for not only the staff, uh, but for those in the community that wanted to come to a safe spot and be able to take a class and learn all of the steps and it's not it's not a huge step, but I think it would be really valuable because even one of my coworkers uh, in Edmonton at the hospital, I worked on that orthopedic unit for about four years. She was murdered by her husband, who was a fireman in Edmonton, in, in the in the local uh, right by the hospital. And wow. she had she had let it, um, they had she had pressed charges and he he the judge let him out and he ended up uh, or, uh, even though there was a restraining order and all that, he jumped her fence and went it went inside and grabbed her, drug her outside and shot her oh. with, the, with the two year old in in the crib upstairs. Yeah, and then he killed himself. Mm. I remember he was on our unit as a patient. He had a broken leg, and the, the just like everybody knew, um, he was so abusive, and we were all talking. But you can't. I mean, what are you gonna do? Like I, you know. So her pictures on the unit still to this day. So yeah. It was, it was awful. It was absolutely, she was just the sweetest person, you know. I am so sorry to hear that. There's a couple of professions because of the high stress that's involved with what they do. 
there's statistics that show that those relationships, the people that are in, in those jobs, in those professions, yeah. marry a couple of times, two or three times, domestic violence is known mm-hmm. in these, whether it's law enforcement, military, the healthcare field, uh, you can you can add several others to that, but we we do a lot of training not only in school but we don't train our relationships there and in the workplace about things like sexual harassment from our coworkers. But we generally don't talk about relationships in general. And the thing about the vote program specifically is that all the techniques and the things that are imparted on you to have a healthy relationship have a ripple effect because if you are doing these things in your own life, personally with your children, with your spouse or the person that you're seeing, as well as other members, parents, your neighbors, that's all going to extend to your work then is going to be more for proficient and they're going to have better bottom line with you being a healthy employee than a person that isn't getting any help and they're taking time off work because they've been injured mentally, physically, or because they're having uh, issues with the the aggressors not wanting that person to go in that day because of control. And so there's a lot of absenteeism. But when people get healthy, the workplace thrives. And so it would be great not only to save lives because the program is available to them at work, which their spouse or the person that they're with is not there. And so they have a safe place to get tools and resources. But it's overall, it's just a great thing. So I think everywhere should have this. It should be just um, part of an employee assistance program that's available to employees where they're at. Well, I think it's excellent. And I want to commend you for designing this program when you were Mm -hmm. a police officer. It's amazing. And I think, I don't know what it is across the nation, but I think education is really needed because I think that there's still an element of judgment rather than understanding where violence comes from and the the victims and how they need help. They don't know where to turn and resources. And I think they're afraid to reach out because they're afraid of rejection. That's all they've learned, you know? It's true. And Kathy, maybe some of the things that you have shared, but can you just, when I make this statement, share what your thoughts are. A lot of people will say something like, um, I I don't know what somebody's going to think of me if I leave, or I just can't, I don't know what to do. You you know, in my, in both my instances, well, the second uh, fellow I was with was, he was an enforcer for a a big bike gang. And my, my situation was a little, um, I, I didn't feel like I could go to the, to, to the police because I was under constant death threats, threats of being sold. And these were, this guy was a, a known killer. And so it was very, very dangerous for me to disappear, um, you know, to, to, to be killed. And it was on a daily basis. So it was very, very hard for me to even say anything because I mean, I'd be revealing um, a lot of the, the members, um, the involvement and you know, the threat was very real. How I got it, how I escaped was beyond me. It's it, to me, it's an act of God. And um, so, but in, in, <laughs> it's, I don't know, it's really tough. I mean, <sighs> all I know 
is that there was something inside of me that kept pushing me to, to know that I had to leave no matter what and to find the resources, find the necessary means, find the help. If, if one door wasn't working, well, then I'd go to an, I'd go ask somebody else. If that wasn't working, then I'd go ask somebody else. Like I didn't give up. It may have taken me to more time than I had anticipated, but the ultimate goal was to escape and to get out and to get out alive in one piece, right? So that my daughter would have a mother. And so for anybody that's in a domestic situation right now, all I can say is that there are, in this day and age, there's so many resources. And I know this because, I mean, everywhere I go, I travel the world. I make a point of going to women's shelters and finding the, the, the local resources so that I'm able to give them to the women that are in the shelters and then find the communities and, and um, raise awareness about this, that, that you need to have a voice. You need to be able to stand up for yourself and try and fight for your life because it is your life. And it yeah. doesn't matter if you have nothing at the end of it. I mean, like if you're leaving with nothing, it's just material stuff. You'll get more, <laughs> you know, it's, it's not, it's about your, your sanity and about the sanity of your children and your physical well-being. So true. It really so is. Stay tuned for more of Women Road Warriors coming up. Industry movement Trucking Moves America Forward is telling the story of the industry. Our safety champions, the women of trucking, independent contractors, the next generation of truckers, and more. Help us promote the best of our industry. Share your story and what you love about trucking. Share images of a moment you're proud of. And join us on social media. Learn more at TruckingMovesAmerica.com. Welcome back to Women Road Warriors with Shelley Johnson and Kathy Takaro. Where can people find your information, Rebecca? Uh, there's so many resources, and I don't know. Do these programs exist across the United States and Canada? Do you know? Uh, they don't. This, this is very specific, Shelley. This program, every step leads to the next one. And by following the steps, it secures the person for a really, really good success. And so um, I would love to have people that would like to learn how to implement the program in their area. They can get a copy of the book on Amazon or anyway, you can just Google, Google vote victims overcoming traumatic events. The book's going to pop up, but I, feel free to, you know, respond to, or I mean, to email me because I will work with you. I don't charge to do this. This is a passion that I have because of the goal that I have in helping just one person save their life or their children's lives. That's, that's my goal. Um, so I, I'll work with someone in helping them get something going long-term. Uh, but if you have just a minute, I would love to leave your audience with some tools that will help them start making a difference. Oh, absolutely. Right. That would be wonderful. We have about four minutes left, so feel free. Okay, so if, and this is very specific, take out a piece of paper, and on the very top of the paper in bold writing, all capitals, write the word healthy, draw a line underneath that, and in bold letters, write the word unhealthy. And you have to do this with a pen and paper, not on your phone or computer, because there is something in your brain that will begin to change 
as you have it go from your brain down your arm and out through your hand onto the paper. And uh, this is a tried and true method. Every thought that you have, start listening to yourself on those and identify whether there's something that is positive or negative. And when you identify it's positive, that means when you look at your paper, it's healthy. If it's negative, it's unhealthy. And you can't have that thought now. So now how do you rephrase it and change it into something healthy? And as you do this and pay attention to your thought process, this is going to help you make decisions that you felt you could not make before. Because when you make a decision, you say, I can't leave because I don't have the money. Does that fall under a positive healthy statement or a negative unhealthy statement? It's unhealthy because you're now saying that you have to stay in this situation that could take your life. So we have to change that and figure out how to make that healthy. And what that's going to cause is for you to think of several, and you should be picking three actually, different modes to get that changed into a healthy response. That's the beginning to all of this. Excellent. This, I think, maybe helps provide some clarity. Uh, it, it's so easy to have fragmented thinking when you're in the middle mm-hmm. of all that chaos. Oh, you're a mess. You can't even focus, right? Yeah. So if yeah. you have this paper, you can take it out. And if you hear somebody say something to you, then you can say, oh, well, that's not a healthy statement. Eventually, you don't have to say positive and negative anymore. It's either healthy or unhealthy. And that's really where you want your frame of mind to be. That's healthy or that isn't healthy. Then one step further is you go healthy equals love and unhealthy is fear. So what is it that I'm afraid of that's causing me not to make this decision or to change it into something healthy? And I, once you identify the fear, that cha- that's a game changer there. I think there's confusion about love. Uh, people can think, yep. well, you know, he really <laughs> loves me. Um, it, it really is love. And maybe I deserve that. Uh, this is just his way of showing his love, the, the kind of crazy yeah. making that goes on. Yeah. He strangled me, but he loves me, right? Yeah. But see, that's, that's an unhealthy response. So there's a fear there and it's deep. And you have to, that person would have to go, why is it then that I'm staying knowing that. And so it could be, well, I can't leave because I don't have any money. Well, now you have the victim's compensation fund. So that's not, not something. If there's, if that isn't enough to motivate you to leave, what else is it? I made a commitment when I got married to God and I cannot break my vow. And then it is, how do I dress this fear so that I can move beyond this relationship? So it's, you have to identify the fear in it. But it's all going to start with starting to identify regular thoughts that you're having and categorizing them when you have them by looking at that paper going, this is either healthy or it's not healthy. I love what you're doing, Rebecca. This is so valuable. Oh, my gosh. Where can people reach you again and find your book and reach out to you because uh, you're educating, uh, you're empowering. This is so, so very important. Rebecca Mahan at publicist.com. I'm known on social media and anywhere, Rebecca L. Mahan. You can connect with me on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn. Um, What's the other one? Um, Anyway, I'm out there. But if one-on-one help, I'm here for you and, and willing to help something get started in your area too. But most importantly, know that the support is available to you through Shelly and Kathy right here. Just just listening to the messages from the shows that you you guys, the topics that you have, those are those are things that are changing 
the power that your listeners have. So that's how to get a hold of me. And I, I'll do anything I can to help anybody. Thank you so much. And your last name is spelled M-A-H-A-N. Yes. So it's Rebecca Mahan. And what is the website again? I, I Just in case somebody didn't have a pencil. <laughs> I don't have one right now. Um, I changed a little while ago due to some, just it wasn't providing what I needed it to do. But go to Facebook and you can get me there or email me at Rebecca Mahan at publicist.com. Excellent. I love what you're doing, Rebecca. This is exactly what we need to change things and empower people and get them away from violence. Yeah, this has been an incredible hour of talking and just, you know, um, educating anybody that's in a situation that might um, have never been in one before and don't know the signs or don't know, you know, what to do. So I'm really glad that we had you as a guest. Thank you. I just thank you both. I appreciate you very much. And I'm I'm extremely excited to see the amount of things that are you guys are sharing and how it's changing lives. So thank you for what you do. Thank you. That's what we want to do. Empower and inspire women and actually anyone listening, you know, yeah. if, if we can make a difference with one person, we've done something right. That's right. Mm-hmm. You've been listening to Women Road Warriors with Shelley Johnson and Kathy Takaro. If you want to be a guest on the show or have a topic or feedback, email us at info at tncradio.live. Thank you for listening to another great interview on tncradio.live. All of the material you hear on tncradio.live on our website, our broadcasts, or our podcasts are copyrighted. There can be no distribution without the express consent of tncradio.live and its partners. For inquiries, write us at info at tncradio.live.